It's with great anticipation and great humility that we not only sing of the greatness of God's worth, but that we then get to turn and consider his word, that he's spoken to us, revealed to us, that we might know him and that we might live and glorify him. So with that sense of reverence and with that sense of honor, let's turn in our copy of God's word to Exodus chapter 20. We're considering this morning the fifth commandment as we make our way through these 10. We'll be looking specifically at verse 12, but as we've been doing for the sake of context, let's begin reading together as we hear God's word. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, that the Lord your God is giving you. Would you pray with me? I must ask that the Lord, by his spirit and word, would glorify himself for our own good this morning. Father, we confess with the psalmist that your law is perfect, and so we pray that you would cause your law to revive our souls. We are certain that the testimonies that we read here are sure. So we ask that you would make us who are so simple to be those who are so wise. Lord, we know that your precepts, your teaching, that they're right. And that they have the ability to bring true joy to our hearts. And so we pray and we ask that you would enlighten our eyes that you would give to us an even greater understanding of what it means to fear you, that we would be those who love your righteous rules, that we would desire them more than gold, and that we would know by experience that how sweet they are and how they satisfy us perfectly. Father, we ask that you would do this because we are confident that it's your very will. And we pray in faith, asking that you would do this among us according to your will, by your own spirit, through your word, we pray. Amen. 
There is a saying that perhaps you've heard or maybe even repeated yourself. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. It was written over 130 years years ago, but it summarizes much of our modern angst and suspicion towards authority. In many ways, being suspicious of authority, it's understandable. Consider the various abuses of authority in government, universities, private businesses, churches, homes. Think of the various headlines you've heard in the last year, documentaries you've seen, reports that show how those in authority sometimes use that authority for selfish ends, using others to serve themselves. Our suspicion of authority isn't surprising when we remember that the seedbed of our own nation was born out of revolution against the policies and rules of England's King George. And that sort of culture-shaping event continues to inform us as a people in our exaltation of individualism and the love of self-rule. It's inescapable. But, like every other thought, every other practice, every other anchor point in history that affect our lives, we need to look beyond what culture says and into God's word. We must come humbly and we must come honestly asking, what does God say about authority and how should his word shape our thinking? For all the examples of bad authority, the scriptures would point us to the goodness of authority, showing us examples of how it actually protects life. It provides for others. How authority, good authority, seeks wisdom, administers justice, bears the costs for others. God loves good authority. So much so that he's actually embedded into the structure of the home so that from the earliest years, we might experience the good design of good authority. The fifth commandment has everything to do with seeing God as the creator of authority and the goodness of his purposes. From this commandment, we learn that being under authority and how to wield authority is one of the most important lessons we could ever lay hold of. Consider how God has given to us this fifth commandment, this law, so that we, as his image bearers, might experience and then reflect the goodness of his design. Let's consider the fifth commandment from that angle. In order to do that, let's begin by just defining terms. Let's look at the precept itself and seek to explain it. Let's begin there with the precept being explained. Just what exactly is God instructing children to do? What do you think of, kids, when you hear God's command to honor your father and your mother? 
We heard earlier this morning a bit of what it means to show honor and that at the core, the word has to do with weightiness. It has to do with this idea of heaviness. Now, that might sound confusing. It might even lead you in the wrong direction to think that it means oppression. But actually, it has everything to do with substance. That when somebody puts something in your hand, maybe you've had that experience, and it was a lot heavier than you thought it was at first glance. And you realize, oh, this, there's some girth to this. There's some weight to this. There's some kabod to this. Honor has to do with the weightiness of the object, the experience, the moment, the ceremony, the person, that there's something of substance to it. Think about it from the opposite, from the negative. The opposite of showing honor would be to despise or disregard the significance that's actually there. It's to deal flippantly with it. It's to treat it as of no real consequence, having no real substance. Basically, showing honor is recognizing the importance and the significance of an event, a person, a moment, and responding accordingly, responding wisely. So the fifth commandment, we could just say it this way, it requires us to regard our parents as important and worthy of respect. And it forbids us from regarding them as insignificant, flippantly, of no real substance. Okay, so how do we show honor? How do we actually do that? Well, to do it correctly, to do it biblically, we must start with the recognition of God's authority and God's design. Kids, don't immediately look to your parents and then try and determine why you ought to show them honor. What you need to do is first look to the Lord your God who has set your parents over you. That's the right way to begin by answering the question, how do I show honor? I show honor by recognizing, first of all, God's authority and God's design and God in his sovereign wisdom has chosen to put my parents over me and given responsibility to them. God sets parents over children for their good. Through parental authority, children are to be instructed. They're to be loved, to be helped, to be shaped, to be encouraged, to be corrected, ultimately shown what it means to worship God and to be his image bearer. Parents, that's our job description. We can go to Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Kids, God has placed your parents in your life so that you might know the Lord and walk in his ways. And because of that, there's a significance to who they are and the very function of God's good design that demands your honor. You honor your father and mother by showing respect for your parents. Through your words, through your posture, 
facial expressions, gestures. Those are all particular detailed ways that a child can seek to show honor to his parents. When your parents begin to speak to you, one way that you can show honor is by pausing your video game, putting down your phone or book, listening to them attentively, patiently. That's an outward expression of being able to show honor where you're recognizing who they are and God's design, the fact that they're over you. You dishonor your father and your mother when you curse them. You should ever strike them, threaten them, abuse them. And maybe less obvious ways that you would not think of. By complaining to others about your parents. By slandering them. By ignoring their honorable position. By expressing how much you dislike through pride, through self-righteousness, through self-centeredness. If you want to think more about this, I'd encourage you to, this afternoon, find your Bible and turn to Proverbs 30 and go to verses 11 through 14 and see if there's any words, any thoughts, any actions, any illustrations in that portion that sound familiar to you, that maybe you can look into God's word as a mirror and see if it reflects anything that you see in your life. And if so, confess those things, forsake them, and then ask for God's forgiveness of them. And as you do that, pray also that God would give you and grow you a love for honoring your parents. Now, this duty, it does adapt and change as children grow, especially as they marry and establish their own homes. There's a number of practical ways, though, that you can honor your parents. So if you're beginning to think about this, and especially if you're taking notes or thinking about what it means to honor your parents, I'm going to give you six ways that you could think about that would help you understand this command better. Some practical wisdom that I benefited from this past week in reading, so I'm just passing it along to you. Number one, be honest with your parents even when you've done wrong. It's a wonderful way to honor your father and mother. To be honest with your parents even when you've done wrong. Number two, ask permission to do things because it shows your respect for their authority. Even if it's something you know that you probably could have permission to do, the simple question, may I do this? That's a wonderful way to recognize God's good design in your life by placing your parents over you. Number three, express your love to your parents by thanking them and offering to help them. That is a great way to show honor. On the back side of saying thank you, and then on the front side of saying, how can I help? How can I help? Four little words that can go miles 
and tangibly showing ways to honor your father and mother. Uh, Number four, speak with them and listen to your parents about your life and concerns. Speak to them and listen to your parents about your life and your concerns. This is especially good advice as you grow 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, that you take the initiative to speak to your parents about your life and your concerns. You honor them as you recognize of all the people I could talk to, God in his good design has set my parents over me. Number five, try to understand your parents even when you disagree with them, calling to mind their responsibility, authority, and their love for you. You will not always understand your parents, nor they you. But even in those moments where you do not understand the reasoning, the logic, the motive, the situation, try to understand, especially when you disagree. Number six, pray for your parents. Pray for mom and dad because of the tremendous responsibility that they bear. You honor your mom and your dad when you take time to pray for them. And parents, we must conduct ourselves in such a way that encourages, that cultivates the proper honor from our children. As you're thinking about that list that I just passed on to you, you're probably already thinking of particular ways that I could have done that better. Or I didn't make that as easy as I could have. That's why we need to remind ourselves that we need to seek carefully and faithfully to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If you want to conduct yourself or cultivate particular disciplines that will promote this sort of desire within your children to honor you, then parents seek to faithfully bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Specifically, tell them of the great dangers of sin that resides within them and speak often of the great Savior that cleanses from all sin. An honorable parent is one who shows concern for the souls of their children. Of all that could concern you and does concern you of your children, take concern for their souls. Secondly, show them love. Thomas Watson said, In all your counsels and in all your commands, let them read love. Love will command honor. How can a parent but love the child who is his living picture, nay, part of himself? This is a great line. The child is the father in the second edition. It's a sobering thought. Show them love for all of your instruction, for all of your counsel, for all of your admonition. Let them read. That was love. Number three, set them a good example. We know this by bad illustration, don't we? When parents live in contradiction to their own precepts, children naturally smell that one pretty quickly. And unfortunately, In many instances, when parents live in contradiction to their own counsel, children despise their parents and dismiss the counsel. 
They just throw both of them out the window. If you would want to have your children honor you, parents, by God's grace, teach them by a holy example. And like our children, pray for them. You may not leave them a massive earthly inheritance, but lay up for them a collection of prayers and faithful pleadings before your heavenly Father. How do we show honor? We first recognize the one who placed parents over children for their good. But let's ask another question. What are the limits to showing honor? How does this actually work? Because one of the grievous effects of the fall is that authority can be abused. It's not the fault of authority, but the one who wields the authority. So what do we do? Well, in Acts 5, we're given a principle that has to do with civic authority, but it really applies to every sphere of authority. If the choice is between obeying God or obeying men, we obey God. Parental authority finds its borders and operates under the authority of God. God's word sets the jurisdiction for mom and dad's words. So if your parents command you to do what God forbids or forbid you to do what God commands, you cannot and you must not obey your parents. Now be very careful when you play that card because it's not a matter of personal preference. It is a matter of moral obligation that God has clearly outlined in his word clearly marked out by his statutes and teaching. These are the matters of moral instruction, not personal preference. So there is some jurisdiction to which God has given this particular authority to parents. But related to that, perhaps you've wondered this. Does this command to honor your parents ever expire? Does the fifth commandment come with an expiration date? Does the fifth commandment evaporate on your 18th birthday? When you move out of the house? When you get married? No, not exactly. There's a design that God laid down in Genesis that Jesus points to in Matthew 19, that a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. It's the creation order. It's the foundation of marriage. Here's what this means. It means that parents should not expect the same exact expression of obedience from grown and married children as they did when they were young. There's something dramatically different by God's design when a man leaves his father and mother, holds fast to his wife, and they become one flesh. God's design for marriage shifts but does not evaporate this fifth commandment. This does not mean that children cease to honor their parents as adults. Think about it like this. While the honor that's expressed in childhood, it's primarily through obedience and instruction, the honor of adulthood more often sounds like communication, respect, counsel, care, even financial support. 
that that honor looks different. It's situationally expressed more towards obedience as a young child and more towards respect and honor and care as an older child. As parents grow older and unable to provide for themselves, children have a particular responsibility to show honor to them by not despising them but caring for their needs. This issue is not new. It's one that God's people have been wrestling with and seeking to walk in wisdom through, even going back to the apostolic church. Paul would write to Timothy, the young pastor there in Ephesus, 1 Timothy 5.4, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. In some cases, showing honor to adult parents is, parents is not possible. But where it is, we're exhorted to do good as long as it's in our power to do it. And in many ways, caring for aging parents is just repaying a just debt, for they brought us up when we were young, and as now as we have the opportunity to do so, we can care for them as they are old. How might you express honor for your parents, respecting, admiring, in the situation that you've given, been given today? The precept explained then moves us forward into this promise that's attached to this command. The precept, not the promise. Back at verse 12 and notice, the Lord could have just perfectly, been perfectly just to just merely state the fact of the command. Honor your father and mother. But it's as if our Lord bends down, seeks to encourage each child, draws them close by showing them a promise, and says, it will go well with you. You almost hear the gracious tones of a heavenly father drawing near to earthly children, reminding them not only of the command but the sweetness of this promise that's attached to this command. Notice how the promise actually reveals the goodness of God's command. Honoring your parents, it's in many ways an expression of wisdom because typically life goes better for the child who listens to, honors, and obeys their parents. Just do, uh, for instance, think back to your own days in high school. Junior high. Kids, think about examples in your own life. Disobedient children who scorn and despise their parents tend to have a harder time. Privileges are revoked. Consequences are heavy. Discipline is hard. So in many ways, this command is just pointing to this promise that exposes the reality of the goodness of God's design. When this is in play, it will go well for you. 
You hear this a lot in the wisdom of the Proverbs. The father calls to his son and reminds him of these things. Proverbs 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. That's kind of the same language, isn't it? Later in Proverbs 4, verse 10, Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of, of uprightness. If you're familiar with the books of wisdom of Proverbs, how much of it is observational wisdom? Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Look at lady wisdom. Look at folly. Look at that son. Look at the fool. Look at the wise man. And the lessons that are learned from those observations show us the goodness of God's good design and that it goes well with us when we step into his design. Children, the Lord your God is a good God. And his purpose in calling you to obey your parents, it's it's not to crush you, but that you might know more of his good design. That's God's means for you to taste and see that the Lord is good. The purpose of this command, in part, that we might experience the goodness of God's design as we realize the goodness of good authority. But there's another purpose. This promise teaches us the purpose of this command. For it will go well with you, that your days may be long in the land. What's what's he saying here? Well, the promise has more in mind than the particular benefits enjoyed by obedient children, though it does include that. Long life in the land that God is giving to them has a particular context that runs throughout the Old Testament. Though this is very endearing and, and very wise, fatherly language that says it's going to go well for you. That's not the only thing Moses is doing here. Moses is recognizing a bit of the redemptive reality of God's people and their purpose in his plan. Think back to Abram. Think back to Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And then down in verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the lands of the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Rephium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God made a covenant with Abram saying, I'm going to give you this land. The promise of this land and dwelling in this land, it's directly tied to two things. Was God just into real estate, that he's giving out land to particular people for no particular reason? No, God's very particular in everything that he does. 
The reason that this land is so important is for two reasons. One, it's the exaltation of God's grace and power. That he's going to displace these nations who are deserving of judgment and bring in his people who are not deserving of anything. And he is going to, by his own grace and power, make his name known, saying, I am the Lord. Look what I have just done. So in one sense, it brings him glory. But the second reason is that it, by dwelling in this land, God's people experience dwelling with God and living for his purposes. We could boil it down and say, well, it's for their good. God set his love upon them through dwelling in the land. God promises that they would be fruitful and that they would multiply. As they live long in this land, they're experiencing God's favor. Now notice how the Apostle Paul connects this narrative and draws a straight line to Jesus Christ. Paul's in Antioch and he begins to speak in Acts 13. He motions with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose for our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet and then asked, they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, and a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. What did Paul just do there? He connected God's faithfulness to bring his people out of bondage, to bring them into a land, to give them prophets and judges and kings, to establish them in that land for what purpose? That Christ would come, that the exalted Jesus who is the Savior. So then, while there are particular benefits for children honoring their parents, the promise ultimately exposes us to God's greatest purpose for his people. Living in the land for them is a reflection of his redemptive purposes, not only for Israel, but for all the surrounding nations. The reason that they are there is so that God would be faithful to his word, bring forth a rescuer, a deliverer, a Messiah, and that the nations would know, I am the Lord. Israel was to love good authority so that the family would flourish, so that God would establish them, and that through them, the Messiah might be made known. You could say it was a bit of a public testimony of God's grace to the nations. Honor your father and mother so that life will go well. You will live long in the land so that my purposes might be made known. The precept, the promise, but we've also got to see, lastly, that the fifth commandment is ultimately a pattern. 
pattern that's been given to us. Remember that as we make our way through these commandments, we're not stopping at the mere words of the command, but we're seeking to understand the implications. If it's said in a negative, then what is the positive? If it's asserting this, then what is it denying? If it's denying this, then what is it asserting? And that all of this is not just abstract law, but that it's been given by God as he has spoken as a revelation of himself. What does God intend by giving us this instruction? The relationship between parent and child is the first and most important earthly relationship. And by God's design, the fifth commandment serves as this pattern really for each child to trace over learning the important lessons of submitting to authority, honoring others, and trusting in God's design. The fifth commandment stands as this great pattern where we learn the necessity of honoring all authority. Parents, the authority that you are given by God is to serve as a training ground for your children to learn early on about the goodness of good authority. And children, you are given, by God's good design, a school of instruction intended to prepare you for all of life as how you are to honor the authority that is over you and to carry the authority that is given to you. The home is really God's preparation and pattern for image bearers to learn how to wield and submit to honoring authority faithfully. The home is intended to be this school where we learn how to administer authority as God designed and submit to authority as God's design and come through it and say, God is good. In the face of a culture that says, authority is bad. And our children stand up and say, oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you, authority is God's design. And it's so good. Let me tell you by example how I've seen it in my own life. Let me show you in God's word. Are you concerned about a nation that's throwing out all expressions of of authority? Then parents, turn towards your children and teach them the goodness of God's design in giving authority. Question 69 of our catechism asks, what is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requires preserving honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Meaning, we give honor to where honor is due. If you want to helpfully and wisely apply the fifth commandment, consider the various spheres of authority that God has established in this world and your relationship to them. In our prayer of confession, we thought through several of them, helpfully, wisely. Begin with the home. What's the structure of the home by God's design? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body himself, its Savior. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's a particular structure that's been established there that's a reflection of God's good design so that we might learn the goodness of good authority. Think about the church. Member to member. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You want a competitive nature? Be competitive in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor to one another. That's the new covenant understanding of showing honor. Member to member. Member to leaders. Hebrews 13.7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Think also of the structure of government. Established by God. Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. He goes on, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Peter takes up this same concern in 1 Peter 2. Be subject For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Notice the same theme that plays through each exhortation. Home, church, civil. Christians testify of their honor to God and their belief that he's the highest authority as they gladly submit to the various authorities that he has established. I honor God by honoring the good design that he's established. So to fight against these authorities or to dismiss them as irrelevant is to dismiss God's design as irrelevant. Whether we realize it or not, that's what we're doing. That's why disciples of Jesus seek to treat all people in all places of authority, from the highest to the lowest, with the honor that they've been given. That's why God's people avoid slanderous and evil speech concerning them, refusing to talk back to your teachers. Speaking well of your pastors, paying your taxes, praying for your civil leaders in all ways to obey the fifth commandment. Now, 
as citizens of the United States, we must be careful to not elevate our First Amendment above the Fifth Commandment. We have the right given to us as citizens to speak against our leaders if they're ruling unjustly, contrary to the authority that's been given to them, delegated by God. We can protest, we can write letters, we can seek to impeach, and we have, we can vote out of office if we deem it necessary. This particular right is afforded to us as U.S. citizens. What this civil right does not give us the jurisdiction to do is to violate God's commands. Keeping the the fifth commandment forbids me from cursing, mocking, insulting, ridiculing all who are in authority. How might God be using this law to expose attitudes and actions of sinful disobedience? How might God be using his word to prepare us to walk faithfully into an election year? Bearing witness that we are followers of Christ in the way that we relate to and speak of the various authorities that God has placed in our lives. Regardless of where we land on particular political policies, that we're united as God's people in the way that we understand the goodness of God's design and we seek to submit to the authorities that he's placed in our lives. Are there specific examples in word or deed or thought that run contrary to God's will for showing honor to those in your life? Well, it's at this point that we need to remind ourselves of the great importance of God's law, don't we? It informs us of God's will for our lives. It exposes the sinful corruptions of our hearts and our lives. And it gives us a clear view of our need for Christ and the perfection of his obedience. When the law shows us what God desires and shows us the imperfections of our hearts, that is a good thing. Insofar as it shows us our great need for Jesus and we repent of sin, confess our great need for him, and believe upon him. Friend, if the law is doing that in your life, rejoice. That is God's good design. And as we consider the teaching of the fifth commandment, we're most ultimately helped by meditating upon Christ's submission to the law and his fulfillment of it. Think over the major storyline of Scripture. Adam was God's son. But he disobeyed his heavenly father, which resulted in his exile from the garden. Israel also considered to be God's son, but disobeyed, which resulted in their exile from the promised land. But Christ, the only begotten son of God, obedient to his heavenly father, yet through his obedience, he would be exiled so that rebellious sons could be restored. 
good news. Good news, church. Jesus Christ honored his father by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. And why is this good news? Because it means you can take every word of slander, every eye roll, every hateful thought and deed and run them straight to the obedience of Christ, seeing him satisfy the demands of the law where you have failed. For by his faithful honoring of the Father, he provides the righteousness that sinful souls must find. Because in his zeal, he faithfully obeyed the demands of the law, keeping them in the stead of all those who would put their trust in him. And in his passion, he graciously absorbs the penalty of our sin by dying in the place of all those who will put their faith in him. Jesus Christ faithfully and perfectly honored his father so that disobedient image bearers could be made righteous and enjoy God's favor. That is why this is good news. Church, God has given to us the law so that we might know his good design, see our evil deeds, and then repent and turn to Christ, resting in him for our righteousness and the forgiveness that we need. So good authority is a reflection of God's good design. And his image bearers, we have this wonderful privilege given to us by testifying by word and faithful example of our creator's wisdom. May God be pleased to glorify himself through us by his gracious purposes. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals yourself, that reveals your will, that exposes our hearts. We thank you for your word that testifies of your great grace for sinners and the giving of your son and the great hope that we have for our hardened, often rebellious, and slow to believe hearts. That, Father, your grace by word and spirit, it comes and it not only opens our eyes, but it changes desires and our our very ability to follow after you. Thank you for the great grace that is ours, and thank you for the goodness of your design. Lord, we pray that you would continue to form us and shape us to be a people who love to speak of the goodness of your ways, we pray. Amen.